As Mrs. Gentry hobbled the sad felt Bible cutouts across the board, I fidgeted in my taupe pantyhose and black patent leather flats. Every few minutes I would rub my squeaky shoes together or pull at my crotch just to annoy her, and also to remind myself that I had not yet died from sheer boredom. Mrs. Gentry did her best to keep the attention of the rowdy handful of third and fourth graders she'd been assigned for weekly Sunday school class. With an obviously low to no budget, she lined the walls of our rickety 200-square-foot box of classroom with old grocery sacks full of straws, cotton balls, felt pieces, and toilet paper rolls. My grandmother brought my brother and I to church every Sunday morning with the utmost devotion which is what you do on Sunday mornings in the piney woods of Deep East Texas, lest you be thought a drunk, slut, or worse yet, a backslider. Now, Casey, do not cause trouble. Listen to your teacher. God wants to tell you something very important. But with no windows, a must of liniment in the air, and paint chipping on the wall, my nine-year-old heart felt worlds away from anything that remotely resembled divinity. Instead of listening to what God wanted to tell me, I would find myself getting lost in the number of times Mrs. Gentry repositioned her glasses onto her pristinely powdered nose. I remember studying her face and trying to memorize her lines and pores. The powder on her nose was so heavily caked that I could easily number them by the places where her makeup seemed to crack or pool like curdled milk. There was, however, a slice of excitement every Sunday that kept my boredom in check. One, that Play-Doh tasted great, and two, that Cameron would be there waiting for me. I was as madly in love with Cameron as any nine-year-old girl could be. He was dorky, skinny, and had braces and acne far too young. But never mind any of that, Cameron noticed me. He studied me like I studied Mrs. Gentry. I could feel him staring at me as I pulled at the crotch of my awkwardly tight pantyhose. And like clockwork, Mrs. Gentry would purse her lips, tilt her chin down just enough to squint at me over the frame of her glasses, and wave one hand of dismay while never missing a beat with the other, mainly because felt King David was about to clobber Goliath with a cotton ball. Because I knew Cameron would be there to watch me, I grew into a good sport about going to church. I taught myself early on to dismiss the feelings that no one at church seemed to look like the people living in my home. The faces and movements all seemed a bit plastic and lost to me. But all in all, the people who showed up at church seemed to have this life thing figured out. They were so happy and clappy about things. Well, except for Miss Gentry. A few months after my 10th birthday, I finally mustered enough courage to hold Cameron's hand behind the big oak tree at the annual church Easter egg hunt. When Cameron's massively magnified brown eyes met mine through those thick smudged glasses, when his clammy bony fingers gently wrapped themselves around mine, my heart felt as though it would capsize right there and then. In that moment with Cameron, I truly believed that this was what my grandmother had been telling me to pay attention to. This must be the most important message that God had been waiting to give me. As every sense activated and each pore on my skin stood to attention, my mind raced with thoughts that I had no words for, but somehow knew they were true. In one touch, 
this unassuming tiny mandork triggered the desire that had been woven and purposed and divinely coded into me from eternity, the desire to be known. Perhaps reminiscing about Cameron's 10-year-old hand holding mine for the first time seems small in this world of hard, adult, big problems. Yet, now almost 40 years old, I believe we held the meaning of life right there in our awkward and trembling childhood hands. Our desire to be known is so simple, yet the profound evidence that God exists. Do you remember the first time you wanted to be wanted? Maybe that memory for you is attached to your parents or a really special teacher Maybe a gang of misfit girls from elementary school who did anything but. Maybe that is connected to the greatest love of your life or the greatest heartbreak of your life. Regardless of your memory, I still contend that if we slow down long enough to really let it sink in, that more than anything in the world, we are a species that longs to be seen, heard, and known, that we are actually remembering the reality of a Creator God who exists in an unending community in and of Himself and is placed within us that desire. Our want to be wanted is God opening our spiritual eyes to see the eternity that has been set within our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 Okay, just think of how awesome it feels to belong to someone, for another person to choose us, to see us, and hear us just because they want to. Think of how great it feels when someone stays in your life on your worst day, when they fight for you when you least deserve it, and they believe your best intentions even when you don't. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God is himself a community of belonging. And he has established this collaboration that we might see and believe this is a way of existing for us. God also knew that we would doubt this team approach over and over throughout the course of our life. He knew that we would rather go it alone or do it ourselves. He understands that for us to partner with other people means certain exposure of our most vile thoughts, darkest failures, most painful traumas and tender losses. And that as a result, we would choose just about anything else to avoid the resurfacing of these intimate places. This is why admitting that we want to be known is risky. Knowing facts about others, knowing facts about ourselves or God, it's the preference. Because in knowing stuff, we maintain our power and control over the relationship. However, In the vulnerability of allowing ourselves to be known, we give other people the option of loving us. You can see why this way, God's way, is rarely given a chance to fight in our life. Most often, humans choose knowing things about people over actually knowing people. But the truth is, 
Facts do not necessarily lead to freedom. And God desires freedom for us. And what does that freedom look like, feel like? It looks like letting you know me without any fear of full and final rejection. That I can be 100% vulnerable, 100% honest, 100% wrong, and you're not going to walk away. And even if you do, I'm still fully and finally loved. So God made us humans to know and be known, to connect deeply, to engage, to belong, to share our lives with one another, and not just online or over text for crying out loud, but alongside real blood-pumping, eye-contact-giving human beings. Why is it so stinking hard to let our self, our most honest self, be known? Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. When God created us, He positioned us in the one place where every human capacity would be sustained. Our physical needs, psychological needs, and social needs all met, all satisfied, all fulfilled in the Garden of Eden. There was no question of belonging or desire to be wanted because there was no doubt that we were absolutely known by God in every way. That is until the thrill of being fully sustained by the knowingness of God entertained the curiosity of a possible, more thrilling way of life, knowing as God knows. Genesis 3, 22 and 23. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. When our first mother and father chose to test the waters of our omnipotence, we lost our home. The moment they believed the lie that God was in need of their help, their heart woke up to the truth that, ugh, humans, we make really crappy gods. With the immediate awareness of their inability to control the universe over humans experienced their first taste of exile. Out of the garden, we are no longer at home, but refugees wandering and wearing down. We and everyone that we love are dying. Earth no longer sustains our most basic desire, the desire for love to last forever. Therefore, we're wearing down and giving out. Our minds, our bodies, all slowly deteriorating, crying out in the grief of the paradise that we've lost. As we wander in exile, the memory of Eden shapes every step that we take. Although we attempt to forget the void that we feel through our nice cars, big homes, bank accounts, cool friend groups, filtered Instagram selfies, our highs of sex, shopping, and striving— At the end of the day, when we lay our head down at night, we feel the pain of our profound spiritual homelessness. Despite all of our material things and people, there is only one explanation for our continued emptiness. We really want to get back home. And there it is right there. That desire to get back home is that continual nudge in our gut that says, love me, Accept me. Choose me, please. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, 1-3 Jesus is our paradise, the home our hearts long for, the love that lasts forever. His life, death, and resurrection is the Garden of Eden again. As we wait and wonder in this weary body, we do so with access to a hope that reminds us this is not the end. We have been given the memory of Eden as a kingdom to come and as a kingdom within us, the Holy Spirit. Because of the cross, we no longer need to hustle for attention or compare our lives to the filtered friendships on social media. This is the greatest gift of the gospel, that Jesus brought us in, that He made us family, that He has allowed us access to the full measure of His power. Finally and fully, we are known. We are given the honor of knowing God inside this friendship that flows from the inside out, no longer the outside in. As we allow ourselves to be fully known in God, it's no longer about rules that we must follow in order to gain favor. Instead, it now is a deep desire of our heart, an act of response that flows from a place of, I get to, not I have to. The Holy Spirit becomes a part of us, melting the assurance of our future home into a present hope that motivates us to get the heck out of bed every day, to look someone in the eyeball and really know them, not just what we think we know about them. We are designed to be known once and for all by our true home. And as we allow ourselves to be known by Jesus, all of our physical, psychological, and social capacities will once again be fulfilled because we're home. As we remember Eden, our life story unfolds into meaningful chapters that build toward the grand finale. Characters are given to our story, portrayals of humanity who labor with us, create with us, inspire us, and above all, remind us that we are all so desperately in need of a Savior. As we know and are known by others, we know God. Through relationship, He will become real to you. You can grow in a confidence that is convinced that He has loved you all along and will go on loving you forever. No, believing this love is not for the faint of heart. In fact, it's going to take the courage of your vulnerability, the humility to be wrong, and the guts to consider the possibility of the impossible things. But I can tell you this, letting yourself be known is the birthplace of a love that deeply satisfies, sustains, and reminds us continually that this world is not our home. God wants us to feel freely loved by the divinity that has been drawing us to Himself since behind that oak tree holding Cameron's hand. Allowing ourselves to be known is like holding open our hands as a child, confident that He wants us to be there, and innocent enough to be thrilled by whatever He places there. But when we maintain our defenses, water down our conversations, isolate ourselves from others through screens and walls, 
we draw further away from the only love able to fully satisfy us. The more of our story we hold back or deny, the more resentful, boring, and complacent we become with the relationships and experiences of our life. Hey, whatever places of your life right now feel weary, sad, boring, or zapped of energy, will you please look around and ask yourself, is anyone there with you? Letting someone into our hard, intimate places does not mean that our pain is suddenly gone, but it does mean the fear or shame attached to that pain will finally have a chance to dissipate. We tell ourselves that we are putting people out or that we're weak by asking another to stand in the hardest parts of us. But this is a lie, and it's Satan's greatest weapon against us. Listener, it is a flat-out lie that someone does not want to be your friend. It's a lie that someone's going to run when things get ugly just because that's what's happened in the past. It's a lie that you are alone in life. It's a lie that you have no one to talk to. And it is absolutely absurd that you are not worth it. Don't apologize for wanting to be wanted. Duck your head to no one as you tell your story with openness and honesty. Challenge yourself. Ask yourself, is the degree to which I am allowing others to know me to the same degree that I am allowing God to know me? Listen, I refuse to believe that God has set us up for failure when it comes to relationships. Isolation is just not compatible with who He is. Loneliness is not a biblical design, and doing it yourself is absolute heresy. You and I no longer need to be guilty or feel selfish for wanting to be known. But instead, let it open our eyes to the desire that is born into us a desire that helps us remember the reality of God and to crave a belonging that will finally and fully bring us home.